we're at the end of our current chapter, and I want to read uh, again from Ephesians chapter 6, if you would follow along. We'll start at verse 10, because this whole context is necessary, and it is just a great uh, conclusion to this letter. Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So today as we end our journey, and as we're in this end of the current chapter, and we're in the current section that we've been studying, we're also at the end of, our, end of our letter. And we've been studying the armor of God, the resources that we have in Christ. And today we're going to take a quick look. We could go weeks on this, but at the word of God in prayer. You see, Paul ends this letter with two foundational essentials of a Christian's life in two essential parts of the armor. We must have a continual devotion to prayer, and we must have a continual devotion to God's word. So as we end the study, I want to jump back to where we began. You see, Ephesians chapter 1 starts us off high. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. John MacArthur said this, as I was reading earlier this week, what starts out in the heights ends with us on our knees, as we're called to pray. And also, we'll get in a little bit of head, I'd add this, the phrase Paul uses when he says, pray at all times in the spirit, what does that remind you of when he says, pray in the spirit? It reminds me of John 4, 23 through 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, okay, do you, do you see this? Do you see what Paul is doing here? He ends this section, he ends this letter with two essentials for Christians. A devotion to the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and a devotion to prayer. This is a great end. This is a great way to finish up. In verse 10, when Paul says, finally, he is wrapping this up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Friends, this is not done by us just being lazy people. This is done 
by being immersed in God's word and through prayer. I mean, when you see all we have seen and all we have learned, in three chapters, Paul shows us the unmeasurable riches that we have in Christ, and he shows us so many blessings and the riches and the power that we have in Jesus Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Blessing. We've been chosen to be holy and blameless. We are loved and predestined to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to God himself. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We have a perfect inheritance. We are sealed and secure in the Holy Spirit. And all of this is done not for us, but for the praise of his glory. And so when it says to pray in spirit and truth at the end, this is worship. We worship God because of all that he has done for us. But it goes on. That was just chapter one. And I didn't even hit everything in there. Chapter two, we were dead. Turn there. I know we're there almost every week because it's so foundational. But all of us must understand the gospel. You see, we were dead in our sins. We were sons of disobedience and wrath. We were following the wrong road. We were following the enemy. This enemy whom we now stand firm against, who we now have spiritual battle against, this is who we followed at one time. So what did that make us? That made us enemies of God. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And friends, I want us to really understand this. When it says by nature... That's what it means. Right from birth, we were born dead in our sins. Can I ask you a question? Who taught you to breathe? Why do we breathe? By nature, we breathe. Who taught you to get hungry? By nature, we're hungry. I guarantee you when this is over, I will be hungry. Right? And that's why we all go out to lunch after church. I've got to go to church, got to go to lunch. Because by nature, these things happen. Nobody teaches us to be sinful. You know, we always look at little babies. And we say, oh, look how cute they are. They're cute. I get it. I still say, and you've heard me say this before, if they had the ability, they would kill you. <laughs> they get angry. I've never seen such anger. Except in a baby. We had one kid who would... Practically pass out, screaming, ah, and then they turn red, ah, and they're like, would you please breathe, calm down, calm down. And then, ah, you feel like, okay, good, they're alive. And then they start screaming some more, such anger. Where does it come from? By nature, children of wrath, this anger, this sinfulness, it separates us from God. Do not un don't underestimate your sinfulness apart from Christ. Dead in sins means dead. We're blessed to live in an area of a lot of roadkill. It never gets up by itself. It stays there and it decays. Apart from Christ, we're dead in our sins. So then, you see what a desperate situation we were in. We were by nature children of wrath. And that's under, we need to understand that too. We want to ignore the wrath of God. Why? Everyone says, oh, that's not nice. God is holy. God is just. The wages of sin is death. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're dead in our sins. In chapter 2, verse 4, from being by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, elsewhere Paul teaches us all are under sin. In chapter 2, verse 4, two great words, but God. But God. It does not say, hey, church. It doesn't say, but you. We're so smart. It doesn't say, but you are so wise. It doesn't say, way to get smarter than the children of wrath. It says, but God, being what? Rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The gospel, our salvation. I love how verse 10 says, what it means is we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship, which God designed even before the beginning. Yes, that's what I said, even before the beginning. In eternity past, we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see what grace does? Do you see what the rich mercy of God does? It propels us. It moves us. God's grace is the fuel for any good that we do, and so we give him the glory. And we are his work. We who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, or actually going on in chapter 2, the death of Christ, the blood of Jesus unites us. It unites both Jew and Gentile. It says we're members of his household. It says this, in him you also are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Chapter 3 calls us fellow heirs, members of the body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It speaks of the greatness of the church. Do you know what a blessing it is to be part of a community of believers? Do you know what a blessing it is to be part of Christ's church, universal? There is something that we have in Christ Jesus that others do not have. The Rotary Club can get together from here to Florida and they will not have the fellowship that we have and the closeness that we have because we have Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that? Have you ever run across another believer and had instant fellowship, instant camaraderie, instant love? That's the Holy Spirit within us working. And you see, this is what God has done through Christ. There is no race. There is no, there is no tribe Jew and Gentile, all of us are one in Christ. We're one body. This is what God has done. And so when it says pray in the spirit, it says worship. Here's another one, and, and we're going to leave this one for Pastor John. 
Chapter 3, we are part of God revealing his manifold wisdom to the heavenly authorities through the church. It says in chapter 3, we'll leave that to Steve, Jeff, or John. We taught on it before, but that, I don't quite understand that. The heavenly authorities watched the church, and they learned from it. Okay. Do you see how great this is? Do you see how great it is to be part of one another because we're in Christ? It's not us. You bring us together apart from Christ, we're kind of a mess. But you bring us together in Christ, and it's a wonderful fellowship that we have. And so then look how Paul prays at the end of chapter 3. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, look what Paul prays, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, again, there's that purpose statement. So that, why? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with this, all the fullness of God. And look at this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We just blazed through so much of what God has done for us that took us since September of 2015 to get through. But what God has done for us, it changes how we live. And we have a calling. And that calling is this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we see how we're to live towards one another, how we're to live our lives, how the church is to function. We see the blessing of all that he's given the church, pastors, teachers, evangelists, to do the work of the ministry. Why? So that all of us would be equipped, that we'd be ready and equipped to do what God has called us to do. And so now we're going to jump ahead to where we're at. That was quite the introduction. And we look at our final armor the sword of the spirit. We have a weapon. We have the word of God. We have a mighty sword. It's a mighty, mighty sword. We have the scriptures, the Bible. The word of God is our weapon. It is our sword. And it is trustworthy. We can trust this weapon. When we pick up this sword, it works. Now, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm like an athletic nerd. So, Well, former athletic nerd. But I love like the Lord of the Rings and such. And in the two towers, they're sitting there at Helm's Deep. And, you know, in those, well, I'm acting like it's real. In those days. <laughs> yeah, I'm revealing myself to you a little too much. Sorry. In this tremendous work of fiction, a young, young kid picks up an old rusty sword 
Aragon says, you have a strong, good blade to try to give him confidence. And you look at him like, that's not a real strong, good blade. But yet with us, when we take up our sword, we have a strong, good, piercing blade. We have a strong weapon that works. It indeed is living. It is indeed active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. That says that in Hebrews 4.12. Do you guys want proof that the word of God is living and active? Are you saved today? It is because the living and active word of God pierced your heart and God raised you to life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, when it says the sword of the spirit, this is extra now, but this is really in many ways speaking about the spoken word of God, but it's also the full word of God. And I want us to understand what we have as a weapon. Psalm 19, verse 7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It's perfect. Psalm 19 goes on to describe God's word. The word is, is sure, giving wisdom to the simple. The word of the Lord is right. It brings joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The word is true and righteous altogether, and it is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb it is. My friends, do you desire the word of God? This is our weapon. This is our strength. This is what enables us through Christ to be in the battle and to stand firm. We need the word of God. God's word is perfect. John 10 says this, the scriptures cannot be broken. Proverbs 30 says this, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So we don't need to add to it. We go right to it and we can be sure that this works, that it's strong and it's true. We do not add to it but we rely upon it completely. It's complete. Jude 3. It's easy to pass over Jude. One chapter. But don't ever pass over this. It says this. I urge you to contend earnestly for the faith delivered once for all the saints. That's why we don't add to scripture. When other religions come to your door and they knock... And they say, hey, we have something extra for you. I always say to them, no, you don't. Because Jude, the scripture says, all I need to do is fight earnestly for the faith that was delivered once. So this is what we stand on. You don't need extra. God's word is pure it says like silver that has been refined in a furnace seven times and it's complete. Because God's word is true, because God's word is perfect, then you know what we have? We have a weapon of authority. It's the word of God. God speaks through his word. Have you ever been asked a question and you needed to give a pretty authoritative answer and you weren't sure? Anyone? Bueller, anyone? What's it like to have to give an answer and you're not confident? 
Like, oh, well, I think that maybe, right? You use all these words. Or you can do what I do. This is a little trick for you guys if you're ever getting sales. What do you think? <laughs> Just throw it right back at them. And then if it sounds good, you go, yeah, you're on the right track. <laughs> oh, boy. That was for free. But sometimes we're afraid and timid when we don't know. We need to be bold in our proclamation of God's truth. It's his word. So be bold. But you know what else that means? We need to know it. We can't ignore it. But here's what's great. When you just go straight to a scripture and you tell someone, oh, you know what? No, it says that I'm to contend earnestly for the faith delivered once for all the saints. That has authority. And you can say, if they reject it, are they really rejecting you? No. So if you're one of those people who has a fear of rejection, don't worry about it. They're rejecting God. So do not fear bringing God's word to people. Be bold in your proclamation. It's his word. How many times in the Old Testament do you see them coming forward and saying, Hear, O Israel, listen. Why would a prophet say that? They're saying, you better listen. God is speaking. And so they would boldly proclaim. And oftentimes, they wouldn't listen. But they still faithfully proclaim the word of God. We know this, that the world does not agree with God. Is that a surprise to anyone in this room? It shouldn't be. In fact, it fights God. And it fights his word. It's not just passive anymore, friends. We are in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. But this isn't a battle where we need to get all high and mighty and think we need to win by our own strength. Just bring God's word. And God's word works. But men will fight. The world will fight God. They'll ignore God. Romans says that they suppress the truth. They push it down. They say, I don't want to hear that. No, go back in the box. It's important for us to know how powerful God's word is. It's scripture that's perfect. It's the word of God that is effective. So we need to learn it and we need to share it. You know, I think sometimes as the church in America, we're a little bit too uh, reliant and we're a little bit too free. And I don't want to offend anyone today. That's not what I'm here to. But we're too, we're too, we have too many slogans and sayings kind of a bumper sticker Christianity once in a while. They come close to the truth, but they really lack power. Or sometimes they even cause confusion. And I'll give you an example. And I want you to think about this. What has more power? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, or for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now see, are Christians perfect? No. Are we forgiven? Yes. So, is there truth in that? Sure. But you know what I would think if I was a cynical, doubting atheist? I'd be like, oh, Christians aren't perfect. No wonder Ron's a jerk. That's what I think. Ah. Oh. That explains a whole lot about Ron. 
He thinks he can just do whatever he wants to do because he's not perfect. He's just forgiven. You see, we have these things and they're true, but they lack power. In fact, they lack the power of scripture. They don't always show the whole, they don't tell the whole story. And so what we must be is people of God's word and not slogans. Be careful about this. It is God's word that is powerful. This is our sword. And here's what God's word even says about itself. It accomplishes what God intends for it to do. Turn to uh, Isaiah 55. I want to get a bit of the context because it's so good. Isaiah 55, starting at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And look what this says about God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Can I get an amen on that? You ever tried to do something on your own and it wasn't God's way? It does not work. So take up the sword and follow the word of God. And this is where faith comes in. This is where we say, okay, Lord, your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways, but your way is best. I will follow you. For as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So he said, here's the purpose of the rain that comes down, of which we've had more than we've had in a very long time. But do you notice the green hills that we have? Do you notice your grass looks healthier than it has in years? Because that's what the rain does. It accomplishes the watering of the earth. But look at this. In the same way that rain falls, the word of God going forth does this. So shall my word that be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So go proclaim God's word. Put the slogans away. Memorize scripture. Feed on this book. <coughs> Excuse me. The more you read this, the more you meditate on the scriptures, you will find that it does start flowing from you. And you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit at work within you. You start using your sword. And you go, oh, I have something confident I could put my confidence in. The true and steady and sure word of God. God's word, our sword, it's perfect. It's infallible. It has no error. It's complete. And it's the final authority for all things. And that's what we proclaim here at Grace Bible Church by the grace of God. The final authority in our church is the word of God. That's what we stand on. 
we've been given a tremendous gift. It brings us blessings and happiness. It comforts us. God's word is the only hope for unity. Jesus said this, he prayed in the garden, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. It feeds us, it brings growth, it brings nourishment to our souls. Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. By the way, when it's called the sword of the spirit, in 2 Peter 1, actually turn there. I'm going to thank Bruce for giving me a little extra time today. Say, why is it called the sword of the spirit? Keep in mind, this is a weapon. But we attribute the word to the Holy Spirit because of this. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll start at, uh, well, we'll start at verse 16. You can see I, I like context. And this fits so well for what we're studying today. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And look at this. So they heard the voice of God. What, do you ever marvel at what the apostles experienced that the 12 saw? You know, we just have a hint of scripture. I mean, you know, a little picture of, of Christ's ministry. They were with him at all times. John says we could write so much more. And here's they said, we heard the voice of God, but look what he says. Look what Peter's saying. And we have something more sure. Something more sure than the audible voice of God. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And look at this, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as what? They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Other translation, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Spirit breathes the word of God. This is our sword, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the spirit is a weapon and swords kill. John Owen said this, and this is what the word of God can do for us. John Owen said this, be killing sin or sin will kill you. Be killing sin or sin will kill you. You see our weapon, this sword is what brings victory. It brings spiritual victory. 
And that's what we see in our passage. We have victory in Christ. Remember this armor that we're talking about is described in Isaiah as the weapons of the Messiah. This is what Christ has clothed himself with also. It's the armor of Christ. This is the armor of God. And our victory in Christ, it's found when we are obedient to the word of God. Putting on the armor is putting on Christ. It's being Christ-centered in all that we do. And our victory over sin and our victory over the devil, it's through Jesus Christ. Because it's in him we stand firm. And so our sword, it's a weapon. It's a weapon of offense and it's a weapon of defense. A sword, it swings. Trying to... This, hey, we can't sugarcoat what a sword does. It is trying to kill. It is trying to take off an arm or a head or a leg. Battle is brutal. And Paul uses this. He says, this is a sword. But it also blocks in defense. God's word is a weapon and it's a very, very powerful sword. And we use this weapon to go up, any, go up against anything that comes against the truth of God. It's also our defense. It's our defense against temptation, against sin. The word of God works. When Christ was tempted, how did he combat it? With the word of God. If it worked for Jesus... It works for us. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How does a young man keep his way pure? Anyone want to answer? By keeping it according to thy word. We must know the word of God. It works. The word reveals to us the greatness of Jesus, the glory of Christ. And when you know Jesus, and when you live moment by moment, day by day, in the reality of all that we've learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, when we just immerse ourselves on that, and we remind ourselves of the gospel, we remind ourselves of everything we have in Jesus Christ, it helps us stand firm. The things that once looked good and enticing are now shown in the light of Christ to what they really are, death and completely unsatisfying. When our joy is in Christ, we don't find joy in sin. In fact, you know what happens. What happens when we sin? When a lover of Christ, when a believer who has the Holy Spirit, what happens when we sin? The Spirit convicts. Oh, and also God loves us. It says in Hebrews, and he, he disciplines, he reproves, he corrects us. He does this through the word. You ever had something in your life that you didn't even realize was a sin? It just became really natural to you. It was just part of something maybe you struggle with your whole life. One day you go to the scripture and you go, uh-oh, I have been living incorrectly for a long, long time. God's word corrects. And we see Christ, we go, I don't want that. I don't want that anymore. Jesus is better. That's what the scriptures do. It points out the glories of Christ. Friends, when Satan tempts us, and I don't care what the temptation it is, what temptation is better than this? You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every 
spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Tell me something that's better than that. You're wrong if you think there is. You name any sin, name a temptation, Jesus is better. Let's take anger. You're an angry person. What's better than anger? Kind of sounds silly, doesn't it? Some people really like their anger. That's how they identify themselves. Their identity is in Christ. It's like, I'm an angry person. I'm a bitter person. You're like, oh man, that's killing you. But they suppress the truth. But can we fight anger even as believers? Yes. Do we, that's why we don't get cocky in this. This is why Paul tells us to stand firm. Do we struggle? Can we fall? Yes. One day though, when Christ returns or we die, it's made complete. But until then, we still struggle. So we can still struggle with anger. But let's see, what's better than anger? I'll tell you. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, what God produces within us in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Thank you. Self-control. Got my back. Thanks. It's hard when you do things off the top of your head. You see, Satan wants us doubting God's goodness. He wants us to think, oh, that's better than what you have. What a lie. And God's word tells us it's a lie because God's word is truth and it shows us Jesus. It shows us the glories of Christ. And Satan wants us doubting that. And he will work us over. He'll work us over. He'll work on our pride, our self-righteousness, he will continually tell us that God's way isn't the best way. Young people, he is constantly telling you that God's way of marriage and purity is silly and antiquated. It is not. It is good. It is pure. It is right. And God blesses it tremendously when you are obedient to him. The world is really, really lying to you. Don't. Don't forsake the blessing that comes to obedience through obedience to Jesus. His word is right and it's true. And we are believing lies way too often. Because Satan loves to do this. He loves to wrap up the evils of this world in stylish rap. How many of you have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? What's Vanity Fair like? It's pretty much what we live in. It all looks good, it all looks great, and it brings death, and it takes you from the journey to the kingdom. It's a distraction. Don't be distracted with what Satan tries to make look good. It looks fun, it seems right, it's promoted, it's advertised. You're ridiculed for not participating, but you are blessed by God by being obedient to the word. And how do you fight in this battle? Take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God. That's how you defeat Vanity Fair by the grace of God. The world really, really wants to legitimize, legitimize their sin. But in the end, it brings death. I liken it to this. I like apples. Any of you like apples? You ever get a real shiny one, it just looks great on the outside? 
You're like, oh, and maybe it's been in the fridge. You're like, I just can't wait to bite in this apple. It's going to be nice and crisp and firm. It's going to be juicy. It's going to be just the perfect apple. And you bite into it, and you're like, I was lied to by the supermarket. That is mush. Not, I mean, you can ask my family. I, God has a lot of self-control things he's working on. It upsets me greatly. And usually the whole house will know if I get an apple that isn't what it's supposed to be. And yes, I over-exaggerate and I do it a little bit for effect and to get laughed at and the whole bit. But in reality, I'm really kind of upset. There's part of me who wants to march down to Safeway or Knob Hill and go, what are you selling here? I wanted an apple, not sawdust. This doesn't satisfy. In fact, I had to toss it. $5.99 a pound for super fancy Gala Fuji hybrid <laughs> apple. And this is mush. I'm joking. But you jump into it. I mean, you, 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 you're like, this is terrible. That's what sin is. You think I'm missing something. I'm missing something. The world has it better. I think I'm going to participate. I'm going to dip my toe. It kills you. It brings death. It renders you powerless in the spiritual battle when you think sin works. It kills. So stand firm in the word of God. We have the sword of the spirit. It's our defense. Turn back to Ephesians. You guys ready for a whole sermon on prayer? <laughs> We're not going to do that. I will hit on it a bit in my 15 minutes, but I want to take a quick look. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I can't do this justice. I'm really convinced that somebody could preach from Ephesians probably for their whole ministry and never, ever get to the bottom of the riches of Christ. There's so much here. But I do want to look at this verse because there's something that you can't miss and it's four alls. All, 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 all. And this is how we pray. Praying how or when? All times. Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Friends, we pray. Prayer is powerful. You know what else is awesome about prayer? How many times do you find yourself praying and by the power of the Holy Spirit, scripture and prayer just start to mesh together? This is how God works. As we pray, as we commune with God, the Holy Spirit works within us and we start, and we start remembering scripture. And what we're praying is truth about God that we've learned through studying the scriptures. You want a better prayer life? Have a better scripture life. They work together. They're hand in hand, prayer and scriptures. So we pray at all times. And remember, in the spirit, and so we come to God in worship. 
You know, I think sometimes through the Lord's prayer, we see our Father who art in heaven, holy or hallowed be thy name. That's worship. That first line when Jesus taught us to pray, when he taught the disciples how to pray, and he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I think sometimes we just glaze over it, but do you understand what that is? That is a statement of worship. You're in heaven. You're above us. You reign. When you say our Father art in heaven, I think Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. You see, this is what we start to do when we pray. Holy is your name. When we pray, God, you're holy. Are we holy apart from Christ? No. Who's the only holy one? God, what are they saying in heaven? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His holiness, it sets him apart. You're above us. And so when we pray, we come and worship. We know who we're speaking with, and we know that we're coming to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? With all prayer and supplication, so at all times, with all prayer, what is that? You know what that is? It's different types of prayer. Do you know there's different, what are some different types of prayer? Do you ever come heartbroken in confession to God over sin? Yes. We're called to confess our sins. Have you ever come before God in worship? Just, just so thankful for who he is. There's prayers of thankfulness. Have you ever prayed out loud? Have you ever prayed silently in your closet? Do you have public prayers that we had even this morning? You have private prayers. There's all types of prayer. You ever do the instant prayer? Help! God listens. They're all types. So all times, in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, don't ever give up praying. Keep praying. Do you have loved ones who don't know Jesus Christ? Do you have friends who don't know the gospel yet? Don't give up praying. And let me give you another hint. We have a weapon, the sword of the spirit. And you know what you do? You give them God's word. Stop worrying about winning arguments at Thanksgiving dinner and start giving him the gospel of grace. You're not going to win the political arguments. You're not going to win the arguments over this, that, and the other. They do not agree with God's word, but just give them God's word. With grace and mercy and gentleness. Hey, and if you have to sometimes boldly say, thus saith the Lord, there's a time that you do that. God gives us the wisdom for how we're to proclaim his word, but take up the sword. And don't give up praying for them. Do you know when you pray for them, your heart will change. It won't be seen as this battle between you and them. You'll see the spiritual battle that there is. And who do we pray for? All the saints. Pray for one another. Well, I left it blank thinking that God would give me something really great to say as we close it up. I guess I would say this. I hope you love the book of Ephesians more than you did before.
we started. But more than that, I hope you love God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because of this book. This is a life-changing book, life-changing letter. Volumes upon volumes could be written about the truths that are in here. It's overwhelming to finish it up because in some ways, you know what the enemy wants to do? The enemy wants to say, you missed that, you missed that, you missed that because there's so much there. But you know what we do? We trust a faithful God, don't we? And guess what? I believe the Holy Spirit will fill in the blanks as you meditate and you go through the scriptures and you read it. Because I could never in a lifetime say everything that there is about the glories of Christ. What we have in Christ Jesus through God the Father. Actually, what God has given us through Jesus Christ is a better way to put it. Thanks for hanging in there. I pray it was a blessing. It has really nothing to do with me. I appreciate the kind words that have been, but so many times they're like, hey, Ron, you know, good job. Thank God. Thank that men moved by the Holy Spirit wrote a letter. Paul set it up, man. He put it on the tee. You can hit a home run because it's God's word. I'm not clever enough to bring this. This is what God brings us. Amen? Well, let's close in prayer and we'll close in song. Father, I'm overwhelmed by your mercy and your grace. I've been continually just amazed at all that you've done for us. Father, all of us, as we live our lives, may we just continue on this journey to, to mine the riches of your glorious grace, to dig into your word, to see all that you have done for us. Father, we look forward to your word being proclaimed in other letters, other books, the gospels, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Father, we thank you that all that works together, that your word is indeed perfect, restoring the soul. That it is your word that brings power to our lives. It's your word that brings salvation to us and to others. What a gift you have given us in this weapon. And so, Father, may we not rely on our own cleverness our own smarts, our own creativity. But Father, may we be people of your word. Father, we want to proclaim your word. And Father, we pray that your word hits fertile ground that brings forth fruit. Thank you for this study. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your amazing grace and the strength that you give to do what you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray, amen.